The reading today is Romans chapter 6, verse 15 to 23, which is page 861 in the Pew Bibles. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realise that you become the slave of whoever you choose to obey, whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living, so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And welcome also to um, well, visitors, but um, most of the visitors I know here today are actually got connections with the church anyway whether it is um, family connections, friend connections, or even that you've been coming along um, the last few weeks or you've been on holiday. It's really lovely and it's encouraging to recognise the body of Christ, what is church, beyond just St Andrew's Church. Okay, we are the body of Christ together. And so as we come together, wherever we've come from, um, it's lovely to worship together and to share God's word together too. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, I thank you um, that we can come to worship you, and our desire is to know you more. Lord, as we uh, have read your word, uh, help us to dig into it, to, to see what you have to say to us as a church, as a fuller body of Christ, as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, and as we continue through Romans, we make it to Romans chapter 6, verses 22 to 23, which is our text for the year. Um, and how we began the year with our continuation through the book of Romans, where it's focusing on a deeper level of understanding on what salvation is and having faith in Jesus Christ means. And along with that, Paul goes through all the little details. It, he deals with sin. He talks about what is sin, how do we overcome it. Uh, so as we go through this letter to the Romans and learn, or as Paul would say, work out our salvation, Let's start today with a quick review of some of the points we have covered in Romans chapter 5 and 6 since the beginning of the year. And if you're a visitor, this will fill you in with what we're doing as we go through this whole book of Romans. Uh, we started off in January with the text of the year. Margaret drew our attention to this image of slavery uh, that Paul uses in, in our readings today. And I presented uh, three tenses of salvation uh, with the quote, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved, which alludes to justification through Jesus Christ. When we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, conquering death itself, and rose again to eternal life, then we have 100% justification through him. 
Jesus' death removes the guilt and penalty of sin for all who call him Lord. Then we have sanctification. Sanctification is a process of working out our salvation and the process and development of being a Christian. That's life. Sanctification removes the growth and power of sin from our lives. And I suggested that uh, sanctification was a wee bit like um, deep sea diving, if you remember that. And when you're deep sea diving the surface, uh, you have to be careful not to get the bends. And through the rules of deep sea diving and how to surface safely, after justification, when you get to the top, to the surface, sanctification is a process of us heading up to glorification when we receive eternal life and the presence of sin is removed from us forever. With this in mind, uh, we have to consider original sin. How it all began and why Jesus had to die and was the only suitable sacrifice to cover all our sins. Both Alistair and myself believe in the historical Adam, an actual person, not just a concept. We looked at some very interesting connections between the first Adam and the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. And Alistair asked the question, hopefully the rhetorical question, of which Adam do you want to come under? And he gave a list. Um, there is just a handful of some of them. Uh, for example, uh, first Adam was made immortal and ended up dying. But Jesus chose to become mortal and rose to life immortal on the third day. That is good news. We have heard of the various arguments throughout history of the understanding and of the understanding grace and living as a Christian, which demonstrates why Paul methodically goes through all the arguments that could be thrown to him and takes time to explain why they are so senseless. We have seen this through chapter 6. In verse 1, we were introduced to the ridiculous argument that to gain more of God's grace, we should keep on sinning. That's in verse 1. And in verse 15 of today's readings, uh, it argues that because of God's grace, it's okay to keep on sinning, which Paul quickly points out is just as ridiculous. We considered uh, John Owen's nine ways to kill sin a few weeks back. Some really good instructions to aid us on our journey through sanctification. And you see I highlighted one which I, I wanted us to think about later on today. Consider the relationship between your sins and your natural temperament, your manner, your personality. What things are we susceptible to? And last week, Alistair alluded to the parable of the merchant who discovers great treasure in a field and therefore sells everything he has just so that he can purchase that field and have that great treasure. And that treasure is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we were asked if we really do long for that greatest treasure of all time or are we really going to accept something less and continue to be slaves to our sin and the things of this world? Which brings us to today's reading and the question of whose slave do you choose to be? So as I mentioned, verse 15 poses the next phase in these arguments about the freedoms a Christian may have with a suggestion that because of God's grace, we have freedom to keep on sinning. The voice of the accuser or the arguer in verse 15 that Paul uses is actually shown that it's within a fellowship of a church and with little with a little further discernment, what you recognize is that the argument isn't really about a misunderstanding of how grace and freedom from the law works. It's more about the heart of a person stating these claims and whether they really are willing to submit themselves to obedience to God. Or 
if they are still clinging to, on to being a slave to sin. And often the case is, with such arguments and accusations, uh, the fact that the accuser is making excuses for themselves, justifying what they are doing by pointing the finger at someone else. Uh, this can happen within a church, and it can happen in our lives. If we ever try, can't hear ourselves coming up with excuses about why we're doing something, let's look a little bit again at why we're saying that. Um, a church and the church leadership should always be ready to consider criticism, but there's also a God-given discernment given that can sometimes make you realize that there's an issue behind the arguments that lie with the accuser. Sin is deceptive and seducing in many ways. It will argue and reason why it's okay for you to do such a such or think such a such. When we find salvation through the grace of God, we have a freedom from sin, not a freedom to sin. But Paul turns away from discussing the concept of freedom and in verse 16 takes the flip side of that concept and focuses on slavery. Paul proclaims that there is no such thing as human autonomy. That is, a person's ability to act on his or her own values and interests. Modern society, today's society out there, pushes the ideology that we should be accepting individual autonomy. That the individual can choose how to identify themselves. They can choose what is right and what is wrong for themselves. They are their own free spirit and not limited to any other power. That's what society tells us. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, had to have the same discussion with his disciples. In uh, John 8, we hear him saying this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, not to the world in general, but to his disciples, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the disciples, they become quite indignant. They say, but we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll, you will be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And a missionary theologian, Newbegin, explains it and looks at those verses and explains it quite well. He, um, Newbegin returned to England after many years, being on the mission fields, to find that his homeland had become increasingly secular due to the belief that they were free to do as they will. He then looked at how we might transfer the skills of overseas mission to local mission. In his final presentation lecture before he passed away, he spoke about this idea of freedom and slavery. I'll just share that with you now. That is the claim of our societies today. We claim that we are free, and we therefore claim that that is the way to discover truth. Jesus says, you're not free, you are slaves. It is only as you abide in my teaching you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That is what I believe is the only ultimate foundation for any kind of freedom. Paul says in the passage today that we are either slaves to sin or slaves to obedience to God. There are only two options. There is no middle ground or option where you can be free to yourself. So those who argue against Christianity like to state that Christianity is restrictive, that our beliefs limit people or are out of date, while they, while they have all the freedom that they might desire. And this is only an illusion that is created by Satan. Humanity was created in such a way that we have choice, but 
we also have servitude in our lives. God gave Adam and Eve freedom and choice, but we're still set under obedience to him as their creator. You can eat all the fruit you want, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 3, Satan tempts Adam and Eve by saying, you won't die. You'll become like God yourself, suggesting that they will have real freedom and not worry about any obedience to God. Satan lied to them. Instead, they found that they were now slaves to Satan and to sin. And Paul states that sin results in death, both physical and spiritual, and eternal death. It is a separation from God, our Creator, forever. The choice is ours. We can't serve both. And you might um, later on have a look through scriptures or have a think about other scriptures which might uh, draw us to that uh, conclusion. Here are two, one from Jesus um, who said, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Paul also mentions to the Corinthian church, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. There's no middle ground. Uh, and if you want to explore that uh, in the Bible and your own studies, it would be interesting. I'd like to hear from people if they find things in the Old Testament too which um, show that, point the way to that. And when we become a Christian, when we accept Jesus Christ as our saviour, then sin loses ownership over us. We no longer must serve sin. The question is, how then will you serve God, our new master? Even under grace, uh, there are obligations to, of obedience that we must be, ta- must be taken seriously. So Paul highlights this in the second half of verse 19. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living, so that you will become holy. That's that sanctification. This action is a freedom we have to obey God. Willingly, joyfully, and naturally. You know, the original and natural manner of mankind was to obey God. Defiance to God is a distortion of how God has made us. Another verse which um, shows that, and I've alluded to it already, uh, is Philippians 2. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, the sanctification. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. This is the meaning of the physical observance of the sanctification part of being saved. In regards to our working out our salvation, our actions do more than just demonstrate who is our master. Our actions have an immense, immense impact physically and I believe spiritually on our local church, on our local community, and the world around us. Moving on to uh, verses 20 to 21. Uh, An interesting book, named after its fictional character from a child's classic, which was also used in a movie by Disney, was created to demonstrate the demise of society's morals at the time. It's a book which my wife detests, for its darkness. Can you guess which one it is? You don't, you don't know? Oh, anyone, any of my children know? Oh, it is Pinocchio. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, my wife probably will shut off now and not listen to me, but I'll keep on talking, as I usually do. <laughs> um, it's the story of Pinocchio. 
the author indirectly uses biblical imagery to get his message across about the state of society at the time. And it would appear demonstrates the attributes of this character described in verses 20 to 21. I'll read those verses again. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. Pinocchio begins as a piece of wood and turned into a marionette puppet with strings attached for the puppeteer to manipulate. Nothing more than a slave to the puppeteer, but with a hope to be free from his life of a puppet and to become a real boy. It's, it is mainly his personality and what he does that demonstrates Pinocchio as a slave to sin. A central event in the story is when, instead of going to school to learn wisdom, Pinocchio is deceived to go with all the other boys to Toyland, where they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. Absolute freedom. But as Pinocchio and the other boys indulge in this freedom, they start turning into donkeys, to be sold to the circus, to be slaves to their sin forever. And as in verse 21, later on, Pinocchio, who escapes us, is ashamed of the things he had done, things that would have ended up in eternal gloom, doom. Fortunately for Pinocchio and the rest of us, if we choose to be a slave to God, then verse 22 tells of a different ending. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. We still have a choice to make. Even after we have God as our new master, we can choose to obey him and act and think and speak things that lead to holiness or we can still choose to sin. Not that we become a slave to sin again, but sin is always crouching at the door, waiting to find an opportunity to attack those who are now part of God's family. The choice is ours. First, we have the choice of who we choose to serve, sin or God. There's no in-between. Secondly, when we choose to be slaves to obedience in God, we still have a daily choice of doing those things that lead to holiness, sanctification, or being deceived by sin. It doesn't matter whether you're a new child of God or been a Christian for a long time, whether you chose Jesus early in your youth or in later years. That choice of actions to obey or give in to temptation is a daily event of taking up our cross, walking with Jesus and working out our salvation. We're all in the same situation. So here are some thoughts of how we can help each other within our community and along the way. We don't go it alone. First of all, pray for one another. Okay? Take time to pray for one another. Maybe um, this week, if you don't already do this, and I know some of you do, get the telephone directory and choose people you might not have even caught up with and pray for them. And if you need prayer, find someone you trust in and pray with them for any particular reason. Okay, there's, there's my challenge for the week. Let's do a week where we're really praying. The World Day of Prayer is coming up. Let's make it um, a, a week of prayer for one another. Also, look at um, 
finding, and I hope you find it here in this church, no matter who's up the front um, giving the message, real deep biblical teaching. Okay, No matter who's up the front. And in your home groups, home groups are wonderful. Uh, and again, you have an opportunity to really dig deep into the God's word as a home group. But also as individuals. Find a, a, a study book of the Bible or really take your time to read God's word. Don't just look by and forget some verses you're not quite sure on. Write them down. Pray about them again and see what God responds with, what reply he gives to you. Individually, um, take time to review what is filling up our time. Time fillers don't have to be bad things, but sometimes you need to put aside some of the good things you're doing to be available for what God is calling you in the next season of your journey. So be prayerful in what we do there. Listen to the Spirit and have that relationship with Jesus to be able to hear his voice. And alongside all this, look deeply into any aspect of your life that you must set out to change. As I mentioned, John Owen, the theologian, suggested that our personalities can make us more susceptible to our other, some sins. Become aware of these, and they will alert us to what our relationship to God is really like. And finally, it is when we consider such things and strive to the holiness that God calls us in our sanctification that we'll begin to understand what being a church, the body of Christ, really means and how we work together to serve him. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I pray that as individuals we take time looking at your word and, and trying to work it out, hearing your voice. And as a church, Lord, I pray that we take time to look through it and, and to discuss it and have it on our hearts every moment. Lord, I pray now, I pray for those who might be struggling with an area in their lives that they know they just have to escape from. Lord, by your power, by your spirit, free them from anything which is not yours. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, as a wider church, we would take time to pray for one another. Help us, Lord, to work out our salvation drawing into holiness to serve you, to love you, to know you more. And I pray, Lord, again, for anyone who uh, just desires to know you more, Lord, let them um, call your name to believe in you and be saved. For those of us who have known you for some time, Lord, help us to work our salvation out, looking at how you are calling us day by day to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.